Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. things are continuously put in my face, it's normally because the Lord is trying to communicate something to me. Now, what I'm going to share with you today, I believe is going to stretch you. It may take you beyond where you've ever considered, but I want you to remember, I wrote it again, that you love me as we walk through this together. I believe the Lord has highlighted to myself and many others, um, it's an ancient thought that needs to be recovered. And what that thought is, is Yahweh's ultimate plan is to restore the garden and for us to have unbroken fellowship and union with him. That's what he's after. If Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, then it's safe to conclude that earth was made in the image of heaven. At the fall, Adam forfeit his image and furthermore his authority. In doing so, the earth was subject to futility, which is basically uselessness or pointlessness, also losing its image. But through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the image was restored to mankind. But what about the earth and ultimately the entire cosmos? I believe that now that God's image bearers are taking their rightful place as sons and daughters in the earth, we will once again see the earth become the heavenly colony it was designed to be. John 3.16, probably the most quoted, memorized verses in the Bible. 16.17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved, right? We interpret that word world to mean people that don't know Jesus, but that word world doesn't mean that. It's cosmos. So now let's think about that, those verses again. For God so loved the cosmos that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the cosmos to condemn the cosmos, but that through him the cosmos might be saved. That shifts the perspective of that verse. Because remember, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Does he love people and is he into restoring people? Yes. But it's also unto something. Number one, it's union with him because he loves us. But he also created some other things that he wants to restore back to their original intention. In the garden, Yahweh told Adam to subdue the earth. As Adam walked throughout the earth, it was subject to the image of God that Adam possessed. The borders of the garden expanded as he imaged forth Yahweh's life that was in him by multiplying the image. And so 1 Corinthians uh, 15 It talks about, I'm going to read out of the uh, Passion Translation. If you don't like the Passion Translation, God bless you. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15, 45. For it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual did not come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. 
The first man was from the dust of the earth, and the second man is the Lord Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Now that the last Adam, Christ, has come, the image of the sons of God has been restored. It's been restored. The sons have been given power and authority again to subdue the earth. Now Romans 8, 19 uh, through 21, I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I want to show you that this isn't my thoughts. This is the word of God. (laughs) Romans 8, 19 through 21. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all of creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. It's so much bigger than what I ever thought it was. It's cosmic restoration. It's not just see how many we could save from going to hell. Because that's not what Jesus primarily came to do, save us from hell. That's a thought that we normally mess up. He primarily came to restore the image to the sons so that we could have relationship with him again. As a byproduct, we don't go to hell. But that's not, that wasn't what he was primarily trying to do. Hell technically wasn't even designed for us. So what we have to realize is that his focus isn't on getting as many, tricking as many people as we can to pray the prayer. So they get their get out of hell free card. He's interested in restoring the sons and daughters of God so that we can have union and life exchange between us and God and ultimately release the image into the earth and subdue the earth again back from all the chaos that it is in back into order. So in Romans 8, this this is explained very directly. It says all of creation is groaning, waiting for you and for me. The reason is because it was subjected to futility, not by its own doing, but was placed into that state when we forgot who we were. When we lost our image, we forfeited the authority to subdue the earth, and in turn, the earth and ultimately the cosmos lost its image because we were supposed to be the governors of the earth, the managers of the earth. As the glory of God shines forth from his children, the earth receives the deliverance it has been crying out for since the moment Adam and Eve fell. Matthew 15, 13 tells us, Jesus is speaking, he says, you are the salt of the earth. In Jesus' day, salt was not primarily used for flavor. It was used as a preservative. And it says that earth was subject to decay. And we are the salt that stops the decay and ultimately, supernaturally, reverses the curse. There's a little gnat, sorry about that. 
Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth. And in our culture and day, salt is used primarily as flavor. But in Jesus' day, salt was primarily used as a preservative. According to Jesus, we are here to stop and ultimately reverse, reverse earth's decay. For my entire life, I have been in church. And there always seemed to be an obsession with getting off of this planet and getting to heaven. It was communicated in so many words that we were only here to pass the test called life to see whether we would go to heaven or hell. And what that produced was a powerless church that was good for almost nothing here on the earth. Yeah. What we did is it made us misrepresent who God was. We didn't apply ourselves to being good stewards of the earth, and generations of people have inherited the last generation's baggage. We thought the best thing that could happen to us was go to heaven, and if that's the best thing, then we all need to die immediately. Bring on the donuts and the cigarettes. <laughs> Because of our academic irresponsibility, as it relates to eschatology, that's the study of the end of things, because of our academic irresponsibility as it relates to eschatology, we secretly celebrated inside when the things in the world got worse because we believed that Jesus was coming back. It's the reason why every great revival that happened essentially failed because we took it as an announcement that the end was near and what it should have done was fueled us and empowered us for global restoration. So I'm just gonna ask a few questions. I think questions, things posted as questions makes me not trying to seem like I'm trying to force feed you something, but makes you think and come to the conclusions when I just ask you questions. What if we were missing everything Jesus died for because we let religious voices be our teachers and not true, authentic fathers and mothers who intimately knew Yahweh? What if all this time we've been waiting to be rescued from the very thing we were called to transform? What if we have been trying to get to a place that we actually are supposed to be transforming this place into? What if all of creation has been just waiting for us to be led by the Spirit, in turn releasing the Spirit of God into the chaos and making all things out of order back into order? What if on earth as it is in heaven is not just religious verbiage, but it really was a reality Christ knew we would see when we stepped into our identity as sons and daughters of Yahweh. What if our obsession with being rescued from this planet has cost generations from experiencing the glory of God? And likewise, what if not getting this right in our generation will keep our children from experiencing the glory of God to the degree they were designed to experience it? Let's think about this in, in a just natural way. A colony does not exist to populate the mother country. 
Rather, ambassadors of the king are sent to the colony with power, authority, and resources. Did I have my water? Sorry. There's that uh, dry throat coming in hot. (laughs) Rather, ambassadors of the king are sent to the colony with power, authority, and resources to make the colony look exactly like the mother country. In the natural. Just think about this in the natural. This is all in efforts of expanding the territory of the kingdom from which the ambassadors were sent. Now let's think about this in terms of the kingdom of God. Earth was made to be a colony of heaven. Ambassadors were sent here with the same spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the same authority Jesus walked in because he restored our image. And the endless resources of heaven are at our disposal. Every day we are here on earth, it is to look more like the pattern of heaven. The colony is to look identical to the mother country so that when the king visits the colony, he never feels like he left home. The colony is to look identical to the mother country so that when the king visits the colony, he feels like he never left home. Philippians 3.20. But we are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness of his glorified body. And using his matchless power, he continually subdues everything to himself. Paul speaks about our citizenship being in heaven. We have been given everything from Christ necessary to transform this world into his. So if this is true, and I am a citizen of heaven, then I am primarily not to experience American Christianity. I am to make America look like heaven. That's what we're here to do. Just because we are currently not seeing something inside of our time or culture does not mean that that thing ended or that it's not the will of God. It just means that at some point someone forfeited it and it needs to be reclaimed. What we have been told is that one day Jesus will come back and put everything back into order that we didn't put back into order. And he commanded us to put it back into order. And he's not coming to do for us what we failed to do. He's waiting until we do it. We said, we said when the world gets good and nasty, Jesus will come back. But Jesus is coming for a bride that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And, and if we're considering the time the bridegroom will come when the world gets good and nasty, we've actually been looking at the wrong thing. And if we're waiting for the church to be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, we've got a long way to go. I know this is pushing some of you, and I can see it in your eyes, but you love me. You love me. You love me. (laughs) Prophesy. Prophesy. All right. Thanks, Nick. 
Isaiah 35, one of my favorite chapters of scripture. I'm also going to read this out of the Passion Translation. He just recently, Dr. Simmons recently uh, translated this. The wilderness and the dry land will become rejoicingly glad. The desert will blossom like a rose and rejoice. Every dry and barren place will burst forth with abundant blossoms, dancing and spinning with delight. Lebanon's lush splendor covers it, the magnificent beauty of Carmel and Sharon. My beauty will, my people will see the awesome glory of Yahweh, the beautiful grandeur of our God. Strengthen those who are discouraged, energize those who feel defeated. Say to the anxious and fearful, be strong and never afraid. Look, here comes your God. He is breaking through to give you victory. He comes to avenge your enemies. With divine retribution, he comes to save you. Then blind eyes will open and deaf ears will hear. The lame will leap like a playful deer and the tongue-tied will sing songs of triumph. Gushing water will spring forth in the wilderness and streams will flow through the desert. The burning sand will become a refreshing oasis, the parched ground bubbling springs, and the dragon's lair a meadow with grass, reeds, and papyrus. There will be a highway of holiness called the sacred way. The impure will not be permitted on this road, but it will be accessible to God's people, and not even fools will lose their way. The lion will not be found there, nor wild beast will travel on it. They will, be, uh, they will not be found there, but the redeemed will find their pathway on it. Yahweh's ransom ones will return with glee to Zion. They will enter with song of rejoicing and be crowned with everlasting joy. Ecstatic joy will overwhelm them. Weariness and grief will disappear. Just, I love that chapter. Historically, that chapter was interpreted as heaven. But it's not. If this was speaking about heaven, you would then therefore have to believe that there are blind people in heaven, deaf people in heaven, that there are deserts and barren places there, and that there are predators there, none of which exist in heaven. He's talking about the transformation of the earth. I just want to read you the footnote here. This chapter is recognized as a Hebrew poem of rare and superb beauty, one of the most glorious chapters in the Bible. It is a picture of the last day's church rising up out of the wilderness to shine in all the radiance of its glory. It is a picture of Eden restored as the kingdom realm of God as it brings hope to the weak and the struggling. The sacred way is the way of life in Christ as we live in heaven's power and virtue. I'm trying to speed up here. One of the failures in the current American church is that we have been uh, under the impression that we need to tell the community that we're here in order for them to feel our impact. But there is a group that's presence is inignorable. I'm going to give you the opposite look. If the Hell's Angels took over a warehouse on Neighborhood Road, they would not have to knock on your door to let you know that they are here. The destruction that followed the hell's angels would be clear and you would know of their presence. And we have been taught that the manifestation of the darkness is more visible and you could be more aware of it than the light.
But that is not the Bible. That is not what Jesus taught. There is a group of people rising up, and I believe that we're already starting to see it in this house. Have you looked around Mastic Beach recently? Things are beginning to change. I'm not joking. Going to Stop and Shop, that place looked the other way for a very long time. They're putting in sidewalks. They're planting flowers. People are buying the houses that have been foreclosed on. I'm telling you, the presence of God in this house is permeating the streets. And you might not think that we have that sort of ability and power to transform, but I'm telling you that you have been given the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It wasn't given to you so that one day your disembodied soul would float up to heaven. It was given so that you would transform this world into his. We need things to respond to us the way they responded to Jesus. You need to believe that your union with Christ is so complete that when you speak to something that's out of order and tell it to come into alignment, it can't tell if it's you or it's Jesus. That's what he paid for. It's the image. He restored the image. And mountains must bow to the image. Sickness must bow to the image of God. Cancer, at its root, is a, a trickster. He, it, it's, it tricks your body into fighting against itself. And so I think the best way to trick a trickster is by confusing it. And so when you approach cancer and it looks at you, it should be like, oh, I recognize that. And it comes into alignment because of what you carry. It's not about you. It's about what you carry. That's the presence of the living God. Jesus said he lives inside of us. There should be displays of that. If all it does is make me get a little tingly inside in worship, it wasn't worth anything. That's great, and I love getting zapped in worship. I did this morning. <laughs> but it's so much more. It's so much more. We aren't supposed to just survive the test called earth. This is life, and it's amazing. It's marriage, and it's amazing. It's raising kids, and it's amazing. Earth is amazing. We've been told for so long that this place is just terrible, but it's not. There is so much joy to be had here on earth. And it's not that one day, it's gonna, when he comes back, oh my goodness, it's going to be better than we ever dreamed. But I'm telling you, it's getting better and better and brighter and brighter because if you think the world's getting worse, you're taking too small of a sample size. Just 150 years ago, it was legal to own another human being and treat them like an animal. But that's not so anymore. A couple hundred years, you walk through a graveyard that's like in the 1600s, you would notice dates that were alluding to children, babies, the advance of medicine, that we are making strides as human beings that have been ignored because of our poor eschatology. And we need to rethink, we need to realign. 
I think faith has less to do with believing the situation can change and everything to do with believing that I am united with Christ to the point that this situation has no other option but to listen. And because whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. The key to authority is union with Jesus. There's no way around it. You pursue authority, you won't get it. Authority comes from union with him. And I, I think that's been completely stressed here in this place. We, you have nights that are just called beholding nights. No agenda. We just stare at the face of Jesus. And that's how you glow in the dark. I'm praying one day, literally. John 1. Which Bible am I using? Sorry, I got a bunch up here. I've become quite the nerd recently. I love studying and reading and not just to fill my brain, but just to know him more because I'm obsessed with him. I'm completely consumed with him. And I would love nothing more than to just get a glimpse of one more aspect of him. And so I study not to fill my brain because this thing doesn't work right sometimes, (laughs) but it's just so that it would affect my spirit to come more into alignment with what he's like. And what he's asking me to do. So John 1, really trying to hurry here. I got a lot of verses. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. This is the verse that I want to kind of hang on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines forth in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and the life was the light. We are joined in life union with Christ. And because of that, naturally, light invades the darkness without effort. Light has never tried to push darkness out. Darkness simply cannot stay wherever light is present. That's just like natural law. (laughs) I think the Lord set this up for me to present this to you in the middle of the Holy Spirit series. Right before Andrew starts talking, Pastor Andrew starts talking about the teachings of the gifts. Because I think this gives us practical application for what the gifts were given for. To restore what was lost. And ultimately... It's already been restored. Do you understand like the kingdom works with the already and the not yet? Like there, Jesus already defeated the devil, but we're still kicking his butt. Like in, in the sense of like, we're still enforcing the rule of the victory. We're not fighting for victory. Victory's done. But we're enforcing the victory. The day that, my wife just reminded me of this, the day that Brownsville broke out, the Brownsville revival broke out, it was Father's Day 1995. When you watch the video of the first day that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, people left at the altar call. They had no idea what was about to happen. And they missed it. 
because we're so consumed with time. Time does not manage us. We manage time. It was given for our benefit. And a lot of the times we're slaves to it. That's why I keep saying I'm trying to hurry up. If you have to go, you're dismissed. <laughs> I want you to get this. I love you. But we have our priorities all jacked up. We can get to lunch, right? I want you to see this because this will set you free. Because we weren't just given the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead to just go about our life suffering and, and going through it and grinding through it. And Is there persecution? Is there suffering? Yes, but it's done with a joy and a hope of knowing that it will be overcome. And it's possible to be overcome within my lifetime, not in a million years from now. Eden is restored according to Isaiah 35 in the midst of deep, dark need. Therefore, Eden cannot be just reserved for an afterlife experience. It must be available now. According to Paul in the letters of Timothy, the gospel technically has, hasn't been fully preached until miracles happen by the power of God. By that standard, how many of us have actually fully preached the gospel? The gospel was never meant just to be an intellectual verbalization. It was always to be a demonstration of the power of God. It's the very reason Jesus told his disciples not to go until they got power. Because at that point, they could have verbalized what they saw. But they did not yet flow in power. It's more than words. It's a demonstration. The earth is not crying out for the sons of the church. Church of God, the Assemblies of God, the Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's crying out for the sons of the kingdom. It's crying out for the sons of God, the ones who burn with fire in their eyes, like their father's eyes. I'm learning that Yahweh absolutely loves the process of transformation. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were, began to grumble and complain in the wilderness because they weren't at the promise yet. But Jesus gave us the tools to transform the wilderness into the promise. So we're not trying to escape the wilderness. We're transforming it. When you learn to love the process, you enjoy a cloud by day and a fire by night. You will miss the miracle of manna from heaven when you despise the process. I can guarantee that when we see Jesus descend upon us, there will be no greater joy in my heart. But just because I'm not there yet, I will not despise the now. Because now is amazing. The presence that I feel in this house when I come here, it's amazing. It's changed my life. And I'm not going to despise the now because I'm not there yet. Do you know what the word manna means? It means what is it? We despise what we don't understand. This is the reason the church is in much of the shape that it's in. Because we criticize what we don't understand. And that's a message for another time. We can't enjoy a little rain from heaven because we need a verse and a proof text. Where is that in the Bible, brother? For all the lovely heresy hunters, here's the verse for you. 
1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man. If you've never seen it before, it's not because it's not of God. It's because you've never seen it before. You've never heard it because you've never heard it. Neither has entered the heart of man. That means nobody's ever thought of it. Man, some people laugh. Some people laugh in the spirit because they've been depressed their whole life. And Jesus thinks the best thing for them is a little laughter. Why do we have a problem with that? The Bible says laughter is good medicine. Build this thing home. Acts 3.20. And he will send you Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one for you. For he must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things has taken place. Fulfilling everything that God said long ago through the holy prophets. I'm going to read that again. For he, Jesus, must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things has taken place. Could it be that we are not experiencing Eden on earth because we have been taught by uh, American evangelical Christianity that all the good stuff is reserved for a place called heaven? But Isaiah says Eden is accessible now on earth. But we have failed to see it because we were told that it wasn't up to us. But one day, I'm telling you, it is up to us. It is up to us. It's the reason we were commissioned. We were commissioned by the Lord for a purpose. This is the purpose. As we co-labor with Christ, we can see pockets of Eden popping up all over. And I believe the Lord wants to start right here, right now, in forgotten Mastic Beach, the place that everyone has written off, because when it turns over, he's going to get the maximum amount of glory that anyone could ever give him. We are seeing the physical appearance of this place turning around. We're really seeing it. I'm in tears driving around Mastic and Shirley because I'm telling you the spirit is overflowing from this place and you are carrying the image and the image has, it just does what it does. Christianity for years has tried to manufacture light and so we do our outreach and we do our Christian duty because one, it makes us feel better, clears our conscience about not doing other things. But it, it is when we get to start living the life that he designed us to live. Light is a natural byproduct of the life. And so we've been trying so hard to evangelize. And there are times where the Lord leads us to say something to people, right? But a majority of the time, it's our life that is shining into the darkness. And it's actually transforming it. going to skip down a bunch. I want to give you an N.T. Wright quote. He said, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. 
That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. The most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament is Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here until I make all your enemies your footstool. A footstool for your feet. We were told that when Jesus ascended, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is sitting there until every enemy is a footstool for his feet. And then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he's coming back to deal with the last enemy, death. So I propose to you, are we supposed to deal with all the other enemies before he gets here? Just something to think about. Cosmic restoration. Now, many of us, uh, if I just ask the worship team to come, I know this is a lot. I laid a lot on you. But I wanted it to get past just your brain. So if I fried your brain a little bit, hopefully it leaked in and got to your spirit. But we need the truth because the truth sets us free. Many of us have been having encounters with the Lord as we've been talking and conversing, either by visions, dreams, but there's a swirling that we've been seeing in the spirit. And I believe that the Lord showed me that the swirling is symbolic of the kingdom, which functions circularly, not linearly. It's circular because it has no beginning and no end, the same way a circle has no starting point. When the Lord begins to, to reveal the swirling nature of the kingdom, it is an announcement that the end looks like the beginning, which is the garden. Think about the solar system. Everything is spinning. When the Lord tells us to be born again, he's not telling us to become a baby. He's telling us to go back to the garden. When he says be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind, he's not saying start as, again as an infant. Being born again of the spirit and being renewed is being undone and starting over as if Adam never sinned. That's exactly what the blood of Jesus did. He reversed everything Adam forfeited. And if that's true, then what did Jesus not pay for? I don't think there's anything on that list. I'm beginning to question things, if you're, if you're willing to go a little bit further with me. I'm beginning to question things that I've just expected as normal but actually are within the payment of Jesus. Pain in childbirth. That was a result of the curse. But Jesus reversed the curse. Right? Are you willing to go there with me? What about, what about divine health? Never being sick again in your life. Jesus reversed the curse. It's either true or it's not. And we will contend to see it in our day. And if we don't see it, then our children will see it. And if our children don't see it, our children's children will see it. But we can no longer let the next generation start again from the bottom. We need the next generation to take our ceiling and make it their floor to stand upon. And go to new heights. And that our children's children's children 
are seeing things that we never dreamed of seeing. And I'm going to fight for that. And I know it's going to come with persecution. The Lord's already showed us that. It's going to come with persecution, intense persecution. And it's not coming from the world. It's coming from the church. And that's why there's a line being drawn in the sand. He said, just get in. Jump in with me. Do what I'm doing. Say what I'm saying. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He didn't die primarily to save us from hell. He died to put us back in the garden. We are being invited into the swirl that is the kingdom, born again of the last Adam, back to the garden. Perfect union, perfect dominion, fully alive. The earth needs people that are fully alive. Don't ask the world what it needs. Ask the Lord what will make you fully alive. And do that. Because the earth needs people that are fully alive. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631 631- 693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.